0: Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 272 on Tuesday, the 27th of August, 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew.
1: And this week we'll be talking about how time is becoming irrelevant. Nürburgring time's doubly so. We'll also be asking if banning cars is the only way to save us and the planet. And we chat about how the old is the new new. But first, some follow-up. And it's been a while, actually. It's been quiet on this front, but Carlos Ghosn follow-up. And it is the the fact that information has been handed to the press. I think is the politest way to put it from the prosecution team uh, fighting against Carlos Ghosn, saying uh, or alleging that he funneled money from Nissan into the chap he knew in Oman. Who then funneled half of it into a Lebanese-based business, and that eventually ended up in a Silicon Valley company that was something to do with Ghosn. Uh So they're saying that you see, look, he's illegally using Nissan money. Uh, Gone's defense hmm. team have turned around and said this is yet another falsehood. Uh, Misrepresentation and uh, essentially saying that the prosecution lying and passing all this information out to the press to cloud everyone's judge or view of gone, they said we however will do our uh we will explain our side of things in court where it should be. The prosecution are getting a little bit dirty, I think here
0: it's been quiet for a while, so something was going to happen. We knew that um. That, that things were were on their way, and, and and that there was going to be some kind of some kind of backlash at some point. Yeah, but
1: that I, I was reading that, and before I got to the bit where Gown's team went, uh, no, 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 and you shouldn't be leaking this info to the press. I was going, how did the Wall Street Journal get hold of this? <laughs> Call me a little bit cynical. <laughs> it was probably a wolf, something like that. Right. Should we move on to Monterey? Because we didn't talk about enough of that last week.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's. No, you're right. We didn't. So, no, this was just to recap. So we'd uh, given uh, opinions and thoughts on what we'd, we'd seen and heard. The chaps over at collecting cars uh, wrote up a piece, a uh, piece about it. Uh, be aware that they are a vehicle auction website that works slightly differently from um, the uh, big auction houses. Uh, like Sotheby's who were at, uh, Monterey. So, you know, that there might well be a, a slant to it. I do you have a little bit of a read of that? Because they go through some of the, uh, just some of the, some of the big numbers and some of the smaller numbers and, and where things were compared to where the rest of the market is thought to be right at the moment. Uh, where it wasn't, by the way, was, was King's Lynn at the weekend when I was at the classic car auction there, which was quite good fun. It wasn't yes. for the podcast. It was because I wanted to buy something, but, but didn't. I going to say, apart from you didn't get the thing you wanted, I thought you did very well not to actually bid on anything else. was flipping hard. Uh, in the end, I had to go and just dis- distract myself by, by, uh, by speaking to Luke from Luton Classics instead. Cool. Uh, that was, that was my way around it after 170 something lots. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it was quite good fun. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's a long day. It's a long day. Anyway, we're way off topic. Uh, so, Andrew, we've had some Golden Gate. Let's have a little bit of Diesel Gate news.
1: Yeah, and it's the news that following Volkswagen's improved, toughened-up stance over employee behavior and coming down harder on those who do not follow company rules 204 staff members were fired in the first quarter another 903 had formal warnings this is over 650,000 employees by the way
0: uh, so the percentages here are tiny really you know and half of them were work time violations like unexcused absence and all these kind of things that you would expect Oh, other reasons include property offences, ignoring drug and alcohol bans, discrimination. It's the stuff you would expect in a big manufacturing company. It, it shouldn't happen, of course, but it but it does.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's not so bad. Absolutely. What it is, is they they are now reporting this to other employees in an effort to try and help them understand that they are paying attention to this and they are being much tougher on it. Because this was one mm-hmm. of the recommendations from the U.S. appointed monitor, Larry Thompson. If if you can remember that far back, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> that the U.S. authorities did it uh, appoint one. But it's it, it, this is this is one of the new rules they had to do, along with ha- having better representation on their board and things like that, wasn't it? And there was the the lady who was mm-hmm. to help out with. Oh, what was it? It's not change management. That's not the not the one. But it was, it was to do with the whole changing culture. And then she left because
0: there was a lack of changing culture. <laughs> yes, this is true. Cultural cultural change. I'm sure that I'm sure something's happening. If we're not hearing about it, the chances are that something's probably happening, successfully in the background. He says optimistically. Yeah. Okay.
1: Anyway, let's stick with Vol- uh, Volkswagen, and <laughs> not Volvo Volkswagen. <laughs> I'm struggling to speak tonight. Sorry, everybody. Let's stick with uh, Volkswagen and, and tell me about how new the new stuff is.
0: Well, I'd heard that there were sort of rumors and mutterings going around on that there interweb that uh, Volkswagen was going, to ra- was going to ramp out a new brand identity sometime during this week, actually. And, you know, in the run up to the Frankfurt show, which is in a couple of weeks time. So watch out! There's going to be loads of stuff coming and loads of news and rubbish coming out in the in the next uh, couple of weeks as, as everyone tries to to hype up Frankfurt even more. I was going to whenever something was announced, uh, I was actually going to joke that that oh well, what they'll do is they'll take the normal logo, but instead of it being blue and sort of gradiented and, and all sort of skeuomorphic, uh, what they'll do is they'll flatten it right down and they'll make it black and white instead of blue and white because that way it'll be it'll be cheaper to print and it can be seen as cost cutting and and you know just making it more you know like the lotus one the other week so guess what they did everyone they took their logo and they made it black and white with no gradient on it so that it's of course cheaper to print and create and all these kind of things and and basically the real life imitated the gag i was going to make this week So yeah, the new Volkswagen logo looks like a Volkswagen logo, but in black and white. So Volkswagen logo that we all think of and would doodle and draw and then, you know, show it through a photocopier a couple of times on maximum contrast. And, and that's what you've got. That's, that's the Volkswagen logo. Yes. Allegedly, but black and white. Allegedly. I'm sure it'll once again with the Lotus one, we commented that it was, um, we commented that it, people said, "Well, when you see that on a vehicle and there's a glow behind it, it'll make a lot of sense." Uh, and uh, that was said about Lotus when they unveiled a, an an EV. What do we think of the chances that the ID. Three. Uh, and stuff will have a flat illuminated logo on it uh, because it's got to be a possibility now. Yeah, absolutely. Cause they can,
1: they can use the, the, the blue that they've been using for many years now as I don't know, they're electric cars now because that's what Volkswagen represents or some tosh
0: like that. Uh, who knows? We all know that Vols, the, the, the blue is the official color of an electric car. Yes. Cause that's like crackling electricity and cool stuff. So uh, And it's not green, because green would be too obvious. Yeah, Green's a hybrid. Yeah, God. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Andrew, there's a note here about uh, trackers being as holy as Swiss cheese. Can can you explain this one to me?
1: (laughs) Pentest Partners, who are a penetration testing and security consultancy firm, have been having a poke around three of the major smart trackers that are available for vehicles. They've purchased them with their own monies and prodded around via computers and code and other stuff that is witchcraft, as far as I'm concerned. But they do uh, day in, day out. And they found that all three had quite a lot of holes in their security. So you could do things like you could uh, remotely trigger via one of the devices you could remotely trigger to immobilize the vehicle stopping it from being driven mm-hmm. unauthenticated so you didn't have to <laughs> so you didn't have to prove it was you who was you know you were the right person to be able to do this if your car was stolen some of them on all three they uh, the theft alerts could be deleted and uh, so the thief could if they'd stolen the car and had the access that was apparently Easy enough to do, then they could run off, and whilst someone was sat in the passenger seat, go, oh no, that's not a theft. That's just a, we'll delete that warning and things like that. So these were, there were major problems. Right now, just to just to be fair to the tracking companies, all three have now fixed these issues. Uh, one of them did it very quickly Mm. one of them according to pentest partners sort of almost did it by accident but it's fixed so that's fine and then another one they weren't getting any joy with until via twitter their security consultant got in touch and then within 48 hours things got fixed quickly so as with any of these internet of uh, connected on the uh, internet of things sometimes the companies aren't as well-equipped on the security side of things as perhaps you would hope when reacting to less good news about their product. The main point that I take out of this article is that Thatcham Research have accredited all of these. And it appears Thatcham Research are actually accrediting how well the tracker does its job and
0: not is it a secure thing that does its job well. So hopefully... But, but in Thatcham's in Thatcham's defense, Andrew, that's what I would expect them to be testing it on, though. Yeah, but if you have a remote-accessible
1: device, I would hope if you're saying this is a good or bad one, you are checking if you can get into it or at least understand that people may be able to try and get into it remotely, which doesn't really come across that clearly in how Thatcham have replied to Pentest Partners. What I would say is I hope this has prodded Thatcham, who are, don't forget, they're the ones who are uh, NCAP's representative over here. And they're one of the main companies that are supposed to be dealing with cybersecurity of cars in the consortium. So they should know this shizzle. They should know what the problems are here, and they should Mm -hmm. be testing an Internet of Things device. In this manner, if you are going to say yes, this is a good one or not. And I hope now they've had this done; they change their they change their testing regime because otherwise, it totally undermines the the service. Okay, well, it, before I get too ranty and don a tinfoil hat, Alan, talk to us about what the government needs to do to get us to net zero by twenty
0: fifty. What do you mean, don a tinfoil hat? I thought it was I thought it was actually surgically implanted. There was lots and lots of there was lots and lots of talk earlier this week uh, about a report from um, ministers and the government and banning of pro- a banning of private cars once again uh, and this time it wasn't just london it was it was it was worldwide and of course that had lots of shouty responses from all over the internet and people being outrageously outraged as we expect and I thought that I'd take a couple of minutes just to quickly talk about what it actually was that was being said. So the report in question did not come from any transport-related ministry. The report in question came from the Committee on Climate Change, which part of the Science and Technology Committee. So nothing to do with, with transport at all. And they, I mean, there's committee after committee after committee listed here, which is all a great way of, you know, MPs bolstering their, uh, their very low salaries. <laughs> but they've warned that the, the UK is not being on track to meet, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's climate change targets for 2023 or 2032, any of these. The science and technology committee were really saying that, well, look, if we're meant to get to a net zero, so that is net. Zero, uh, emissions and, and, and carbon dioxide and, and carbon use by 2050. Okay. So that's for uh, 41 years away. Uh, no, it's not. It's 31 years away. Uh, the, they're saying, well, here are 10 things the government could do in order to meet this. And so what they did was they – it says quite clearly here, the committee identifies 10 key areas in which the government policy to support the implementation of low-carbon technology has been delayed, cut back, or undermined. And it runs through those, and it also goes through there's there's some recommendations for change. And once again, there are a nice round 10 of them.
1: Well, that those 10 key areas, by the way, I a lot of those make a lot of sense, what they're saying there. Because – uh, ah. they are you know what for example one of the ones they talked about was how fuel duty has been frozen but bus and train fares have been allowed to increase every year so therefore people go well actually it's more ex-, forgetting the convenience they go i'll i won't use the train because that's too expensive i'll get in the car and how many times have we seen it on twitter how many times have we we've you know seen the conversation where it's look it's going to cost me 350 quid to get down to london It's 50 pound in petrol for my car and parking up. I'll do that.
0: And it's stuff like feed in tariff for low, for low, for like home, zero carbon power generation, you know, solar, wind, uh, whatever. It was closed. That's been canceled and stuff. So it's saying that actually, you know, the the government's policies are going against ever reaching this. Yeah. Yeah. And then it says, here are 10 recommendations for change. And they're decent enough. So strategy for decarbonizing heat, an incentive scheme for energy-efficient home improvements, support for onshore wind and solar power, review of the smart export guarantee um, about exporting um, yeah, en- energy. So it's, it's about the feed-in tariff, that kind of stuff. Sustaining nuclear power without growing the nuclear power industry, removal of greenhouse gases and how we can actually go about doing that, clear action on carbon capture. And I'm running through all nine of them until I get to the other one. <laughs> clean growth regulation in the energy market to say well here is the strategy for getting there and and support for local authorities to help try and to help try and put these in place in a in public spaces and in in just in ways that work in their in their area but the one that's got everyone all the vehicle people up was a plan for reducing vehicle emissions now I've got the the select committee summary in in front of me so this is the report summary not the full report and it is, it says the government must bring forward the data of its proposed ban sales of new conventional cars and vans to 2035 at the latest and ensure that it covers hybrids too. Okay. So it's saying going pure EV or pure hydrogen, you know, not just mild hybrids and stuff. Yeah. There's no internal combustion engines at all. No. Exactly. In the near term, the government must reconsider the fiscal incentives for consumers to purchase both new and used vehicle models with lower emissions. The government so so far so good, I think. The government should also work public services and the owners of public land, such as schools and hospitals, to accelerate deployment of electrical vehicle charge points, and introduce measures to ensure that charge points are interoperable, compatible with a smart energy system, reliable, and provide real time information on their current functionality. Big thumbs up here for that. Although we still don't know what smart energy system is yet. (laughs) No, 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 it is. Buzzword bingo. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yes, it's digital transformation. (laughs) I've lost where I was now. And then it goes on to say, although ultra-low emissions vehicles generate very little emissions during use, their manufacture generates substantial emissions. In the long term, widespread, now this is long term. This isn't even 2050. This is long term. Widespread personal vehicle ownership therefore does not appear to be compatible with significant decarbonization. Going to read that again. In the long term, widespread personal vehicle ownership therefore does not appear to be compatible with significant decarbonization. So there's a number of things there. One is widespread. So it's not saying we're going to take our cars away. And it all starts to then fit in a little bit with that London thing we talked about the other week, where what you actually need is to... Well, let me read the next line, then I'll go into my waffle. It says, The government should not aim to achieve emissions reductions simply by replacing existing vehicles with lower emissions versions. So what I take from that is we can't just say, well, okay, you've got a car, here's another car. What it actually should be is, okay, can we provide better, faster, cheaper, other transport solutions so that you don't need a car anymore. And that may include fleets of cars or vehicles. It can include... um uh, you know, and, and taxis, be they driverless or otherwise, or anything like that. It's, it's just, is, is all in there as well. What it's really hinting at is there should be better infrastructure so that people don't need a car. And there will always be places where you need a car. Yeah. Cause it's saying widespread. The countryside. I mean, proper country Yeah, exactly. And I mean, proper countryside. Uh, you're in somewhere in the highlands. You, you're not going to have, it's just, it's not going to work that you're going to have a train service or a bus service every 10 minutes or any of these things. No. So you're probably going. Need to own a car. It won't be widespread, but you probably need to own a car. So people were going kind of crazy and 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 saying that this is all awful and 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 terrible. And on, on the other side, people were going, ah, well, you we should all buy these these. Nobody needs a car. Nobody needs a car anywhere. Just your cars and all that kind of stuff. And and that's rubbish too. What's actually been written and what people are getting all all shouty about it is actually quite sensible i'm really sorry
1: yeah the the key though will be because there's a couple of things here if we look at, sorry i'm going to go on to a hot topic that i like to go on to but if we look at how interconnected things are oh no this this transport no because i i'm agreeing with you i know it's rare but I'm agreeing with you that generally
0: Oh right. Oh, oh sugar. Okay, yes. Oh yes.
1: The concept behind what they are suggesting, what they are suggesting makes sense. I'm not saying necessarily I agree with it all, but that's from a purely selfish point of view. But we need to be shown and encouraged to make trips using other forms of transport if that is practical and that is possible. And if not, it needs to be investigated at a local government. Uh, county, regional, governmental level to can it be done in some mm-hmm. way with investment? Because don't forget, this country has been massively underinvested in when it comes to infrastructure, horrifically underinvested yet we're supposed to be just, con- just we're supposed just, to be <sighs> acting as though we're uh, like you know Norway when it comes to subsidies for electric vehicles and we're like the Dutch with their their bike lanes and stuff you know it it it, it can't happen if you don't put money into it so let's, let's stop dreaming that now let's stop talking about that unless we're going to talk about investment but if people can be encouraged to uh, go on a bike to do some journeys whether you know I saw something today about cargo bikes and how some people are going, oh, actually, these are quite useful. That wouldn't work on the streets where I live at the moment because there isn't the room for them. You know, it, it would, well, you, of course you could do it, but I would not feel particularly safe doing it because there isn't a dedicated area for me to be on that. And we know some people can be silly in a car whilst some people can be silly on a bike. But you know what I mean? It's like No one's been, we have to encourage the the thought behind making the journey at all. Do you need to make the journey? If so, are Uh there alternatives? If not, can alternatives be arranged at some point in the future? If not, well, then that's where you are. You need to make that journey. There are no alternatives. That is where the car makes its case. Agreed.
0: Anyway, never mind that. Uh, It is guilt minute. Point in the show where we don't make you feel guilty about only a car a <laughs> feel we might just have done. Um, but it's we really remind you to think about and consider what the Motoring Podcast is worth for you. If you feel it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange Become a Patron button uh, there on the front page. If you're already a patron, then thank you so very much. Of course, not everyone has the ability to do this, so please don't forget to like, rate, and leave feedback via the podcast playing platform of your choice. If you've done all that, you rock. Uh, but how's about accosting a friend who you think would enjoy this and telling them all about us? Uh, one last thing: if for some reason you don't actually subscribe to the show, how's about doing so for free using a free podcast play podcast player? Uh, that will make sure that the next show comes to you without the anxiety and worry that you might miss out on our wonderful words. I might have gone a bit OTT there, <laughs> although we might have gone. Come- but we might have turned into greeny weeny weekly by next by next week at the rate yes. we're going tonight i'm sorry about scooters that scooters of the future man i'm not really i think we're right <laughs> that's tired there was right so uh, before we go into the next bit then if you've seen as you're going to make silly things i'm reading uh, i'm going to do a quick plug for ludicrous by ed Niedermeyer, his book on the history of tesla I should. Oh, I've said it out loud. Oh, God, any Sunday, uh, the history and analysis of just what they're like, how they've got there, is really, really good. But he ma- he makes this great comment about these uh, at one point about the Cambrian explosion of different forms of electric vehicle that are available to people right at the minute in a sort of public way and one of them he mentions is electric scooters and I, I did actually sit there and roll my eyes as I read it so yeah but I thought a cambrian I thought they're describing all these these different sharing things uh, and all different formats of vehicle that you could actually borrow in many places around the world or rent was was really it was just really cool words I just liked it a lot. I thought, wish I'd thought of that. I'm not smart enough. (laughs) One day if you try hard, Alan. Anyway, (laughs) I know, I know if I try hard at school and stuff. Anyway, tell us about Rally Germany.
1: Right, WRC. And in in an effort to make Alan very happy this week, Toyota decided their Yaris would come first. Another Yaris would come second. And a third mm-hmm. Yaris would come for a uh, third, even not fourth, but a fourth Yaris. This is the one that gets me. I will run through who was where, but this is the one that gets me. Takamoto Katsuta was stepping up from their junior program, first time in WRC, and he got in the points by ending up 10th. He was eight minutes, 20 seconds back behind hey. uh, Ot Tanek, who was first, but still, first time out. Crikey, well done. <laughs>
0: If I'd been eight, say eight minutes thirty-two seconds by Dot Teneg, you <laughs> would be dining out on that for a long, uh, I would be long pretty time. Pretty chuffed as well. Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh
1: yeah. Uh, Chris Meek was second, so it's brilliant to see Chris Meek has uh, not had another splash of bad luck uh, so he ended up 20 seconds behind and Yari Mati Latvila was 36 seconds behind uh, Optanic in third Nouvelle uh, was in fourth sort of recovering a little bit of point wise and I think Sordo was fourth went late to a timing gate so it meant that uh, Nouvelle went ahead and Nouvelle actually won the spe- I think the last special stage as well but then Mickelson in the third Hyundai i20 was in sixth. Then you got to Ogier in the C3, uh, Lappy in the C3, and then the first Ford Fiesta, which was driven by Greensmith. Uh, that was in ninth. So that looked like that was a tough tough week for, uh, what are they called? Uh, M-Sport. Sorry, M-Sport. <laughs> so like, how could I not remember M-Sport? Oh, Fiesta, M-Sport, yeah. So, I'm, I'm very sorry, M-Sport. That's that, that's very poor of me. I do apologize. Tanik, uh, how many points is he ahead now? I think he's 35 points. He's 35 points ahead of Nouvelle. Um So that's good news. And Sordo, uh, no, sorry, Nouveau is now 13 points clear of Ogier. So
0: it honestly, not that you can be with the WRC, but it looks like it's Tanik's to lose don't say that because it's Rally Wales coming up next isn't it that's next it's in two weeks time or so
1: no October starting in Liverpool it's October actually,
0: oh pardon on me on the docks
1: uh, 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 near, um, near the uh, Albert Dock which I'm oh, hoping, right. okay. I'm hoping cool. to try I'll and get to but mm, logistics mm-hmm. might be proving difficult be. Yeah, but, uh, another little bit of rallying news though you know about the new course at E the 24 24- Six thousand, twenty-six and a half thousand pound electric op- uh, electric Vauxhall Corsa. Well, uh, Opel are making a rally version, mm-hmm. which is going to be apparently forty-six grand uh, or thereabouts, and be a little bit wider, a little bit longer, uh, significantly lighter. So they're the taking seats out. That's what I'm reading from that. <laughs> you know, and a, a different. Shell well, it is a customer it.
0: rally car, so yes, <laughs> it'll come with few seats. Yeah. yeah that will
1: be racing in a own spec own make german race series so think it's a good idea because of ma- it's it's marketing it's a marketing ploy but i think it's a good idea showing people that electric cars are capable of you know we still have to get beyond the myth of the milk float image don't we unfortunately yeah. even with tesla's ludicrous mode and the, the the porsche whatever it is coming out soon as well taycan yeah, taycan Tyco, whatever the porsche thing okay. Yes, the one that was in the Playmobil movie. Yeah,
0: that one. <laughs> oh, gee. Yes, yes, that one. Uh But the other thing about that is that it will share an underneath with the Peugeot 208 and also then with one of the... With whatever it is that Citroen decide to use as their next generation rally car, too, I would imagine. Mm. So, so this will be a certain amount of testing and trying to get ahead of the game. I yeah, would, yeah, I, would I think. think so. As well as you know, getting just for everyone's sake, finding out what the the challenges are with electric rally. Yep. let's move on. Right, news from uh, Volkswagen again. Yes, yes, news from Volkswagen again. As I'm sure most of you know by now, uh, Ferdinand Piech, uh, the uh, I don't really know how to describe him. Really, everyone he was keeps saying "engineer," chairman and uh, CEO of Volkswagen Group. Engineer is a good one. Engineer is a good one in, in the title here from the from from this uh this obituary in Automotive News Europe. He died suddenly and unexpectedly over the weekend. He was quite a chap, uh, really, in a number of in a number of ways. Depending on which obituary you read it. Tells you just quite how much of a chap he he was, uh, and and just just what what type he was. Of course, the uh, grandson of Ferdinand Porsche, and the Pike and Porsche families uh, owned a majority stake in Volkswagen Group. He himself worked for Audi for a long time. He was uh, seen as instrumental in the development of Quattro. Uh, when he was at Audi and worked his way worked his way through through the ranks from there to become the CEO of Volkswagen in 1993 uh he grew the company from then when it was making quite significant losses and went on a a mission essentially to to grow the company and to bring it back uh firmly into the black and part of his way of doing that was uh was through through acquisition, really, a Seat, Skoda, Bentley, Bugatti, Lamborghini, Ducati, uh, MAN, and Scania. Uh, were all sorry Scania. somebody will correct me on that Uh were all added to the portfolio of brands uh, amongst others starting when he when he was when he was a ceo he ended up chairing the supervisory board uh, from 2002 he moved to a supervisory um, type job uh, and i mentioned the Porsche and Pike families he also he ended up in 2012, uh, acquiring Porsche and bringing it inside the Volkswagen Group, which was quite a turnaround given that his, his cousin, who's the, who's the, um, essentially the owner of the, 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 the majority stakeholder in Porsche had tried to buy the Volkswagen Group a few years before. Uh, so lots of, Two fingers and petty spats and stuff like that uh, in that sort of area. Um, but he was quite a, quite a guy. He wasn't bothered if people didn't necessarily get on, I think is a fair way of putting it. And sometimes the not getting on was, was sort of there. Uh, and that was, from- well,
1: he says it, he said it's, this the final quote, isn't it? In one of, one of the quotes, sorry, at uh, the end of a section in here. He, from his autobiography, is My Desire for Harmony is Limited.
0: There it is. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it as I was going through and I hadn't made a note of it in my little post-it note of achievements down here That, uh, rather so that I wasn't searching through the article as I went through it. He was quite a chap. Uh, there's loads and loads of obituaries out there and there's uh, well worth a read, uh, I think. Just, I don't know that we'll see someone like him for a long time. He's survived by uh, his wife, at least one wife, and tw- something like 12 children, uh, I believe. Uh, when she was, when he insisted that she was voted onto the Volkswagen supervisory board some years, uh, a few years ago, then two other members, two other members resigned and discussed that this was happening. Um, but, and there's all sorts of, all sorts of things around that, even in his death. Uh, around what's what's happening nobody knows which of his children is going to be seen as the one to to sort of take over uh, i'm sure we'll see a little bit more ab- about that as it as it carries on um and we see that there's sort a of fallout from that happening right uh a change of pace slightly mm. yes
1: andrew lincoln co 03 that's the way they they name their vehicles but. has Apparently beaten the Jaguar SV Project 8 around the Nurburgring for the fastest four door round the bloody Nurburgring yawn. Gosh yawn. But this is only a, I mean, this is only in a concept thing, so it's not a real road going car.
0: And yawn, yawn, you know... It's also also the fastest four-door front-wheel drive car around the Nürburgring, supposedly, if we're going to start, you know, making up our own sectors here. Yes. Well, we're the
1: fastest podcast that records on a Tuesday night talking about cars that's never been to the Nürburgring together. Okay. Oh, if we can make yeah, up these, that works. If we can make up these things, that why works.
0: Not? <laughs> we, we might as well. Everybody else seems to.
1: I had, I had David Pook on uh, rear view and I asked him specifically about this because obviously as a chassis engineer, ride handling engineer for Jaguar or JLR. He's, he does significant amount of testing and a fair amount of it at Nürburgring. So I asked specifically, what is the point of the Nürburgring? Please tell me it's something more than just people going, oh, look how fast we can go around a track. Ooh, that means nothing to anyone really, except for they can put it on whatever lap time record list they think they've got. And he said, well, no, actually the main purpose of being there is to get all the different surfaces, all the different cambers, all the different stresses and strains that the Nürburgring puts your car under whilst you're driving around it pretty rapidly. So that's what it's there for. It's not, it's, yeah, Marketing wants the fastest number. Engineering and product development mm-hmm. want let's just do lap after lap after lap, please. Let's let's get some data. Give
0: us the data. Yep. Consistent data. Yeah. yeah. So well done, Lincoln Co. Well still it's a great picture of it with all four wheels off the ground, isn't it? It looks like a It looks like
1: as Near Khan pointed out, was it actually from a was it from a game? <laughs> or was it was it a real photo or was it from a game? <laughs> yeah, it does.
0: <laughs> it looks a lot like that, doesn't it? Yeah. I imagine it's from a game. Uh, uh, no, no, don't. That's not what I meant to say. I imagine it's a real photo, but it doesn't half look like a game, does it? Yeah. It's always a sunny day in Photoshop land, though. Yeah, I, I want to talk about uh, the fastest, uh, uh, another fastest car around the Nurburgring. It's just four-door. for a change of a change of topic. <laughs> yes. Well, no, no, it's it's not even the fastest four door. It's the fastest four door EV on the Nurburgring, and I actually want to say why this is a, a useful useful and realistic and what's actually important about this. So one thing is the Porsche Taycan, I don't know if this is the Turbo in inverted commas version yet or not, but the Taycan is the it is actually slightly slower than the Panamera Turbo SE Hybrid, which actually has the record for being the fastest four door on the ring uh, okay. with 7 minutes 38. The the difference between the Taycan's fast four door electric car why does it matter? Okay, this one matters, uh, and it's part of Porsche trying to show off. It's a continuation of the video the other week with, uh, Johnny Smith because it's Porsche trying to say that, well, okay, so maybe there are other electric four door vehicles, which might be a fraction of a second quicker to 60 miles an hour. But the big difference is that we can do it consistently. Mm. And we can go right the way around the Nürburgring and we can throttle and brake and drive it like a race car and we will not go into a thermal cutout limp mode at any point in this. You can do this time and time again and you won't have any issues like that. And I think there might be a little bit of pointedness there for other performance four-door electric vehicles, which maybe have been tried and people can't get more than three or four minutes into a lap of the Nurburgring uh, without it going into some form of thermal gutter <laughs> mode. I say three or four minutes in response to the, in response to the Jalopnik article and the comments below. So my apologies. I haven't actually done in depth research into how far other well known four door electric vehicles can go exactly before they fritz out on race circuits, <laughs> but that's why that one's important because it's showing off that consistency i just want to make make it clear what the message is that porsche is trying to get across and why it's relevant to those of us who are enthusiasts <laughs> that's been done on that one by the way i've just got to say the pr puff i mean so obviously the taikan is going to be unveiled in a couple of weeks time at frankfurt Goodness me, you're not half doing a good job, Portia, of filling in a period of empty news with stuff for us to talk about, about the Taikan, without it being total hype. So, thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yes, because otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it. (laughs) Well, yeah, otherwise we'd just ignore it. Oh, load of rubbish. But I thought that was interesting because of the relevance behind it for EVs and battery management and shizzle like that. Yep, absolutely. Our listeners like. Absolutely. Anyway, some late, greatest, up-to-the-moment news,
1: Andrew. It is. The lunchtime read, which actually I think may take more than one or two lunchtimes, uh, and hence there is no list of the week this week for you to peruse. But uh, thanks to Chris Pickering tweeting this earlier, uh, we've got – Dennis Jenkinson's account of driving the Mille Miglia with Sir Sterling Moss. And it's utterly amazing. <laughs> it's just, it's fabulous. It's on Motorsport. Uh, it's from their archives and it's, it's free for us to access via their archives. It's just brilliant. It, I, I couldn't, as Chris pointed out himself in the, in the tweet, it, good gosh, you to have this accessible for us all is amazing. So thank you very much, Motorsport. But the, the, just the, it's phenomenal. I, I'm stuttering
0: over words here, but strongly go read this. <laughs> I've not read it yet, but I'm aware of its, its reputation of being one of the great articles of its time. Mm. This, this is pretty much legendary. Them um, Moss and Moss and Jenkinson on the Meliumilia is is. Is one of those things of legend. So I'm really looking forward to, to reading this. I've, I've got a train journey into Londinium tomorrow morning and I, I strongly suspect that I'll be sipping my coffee and reading this as we go along. Yeah. Um, because this, this is, I have heard tell of this article and, and I want to read it for myself. Yeah. So fab, yeah. Well spotted, Chris. I, w- I would love to attend the modern day
1: version of the Mili Miglia at some point. Uh, I know it, it's a different thing now because, unfortunately, you know, people yeah. died a lot on the the original incarnation. But it it, <laughs> it must have been absolutely phenomenal to see this happening live back in the day.
0: I, don't, I believe. Uh, Jenks's pace notes were all on a sort of toilet paper, essentially. So you scrolled from one to the other and he had to keep scrolling it and, until the next one came up, came up. So rather than turning over pages and getting lost and mixed up, he just kept winding it and it kept going. But you're saying about the, the danger, the, the, the danger and stuff and the story that, that every time, every time, uh, Sir so Sterling jammed on the brace, he'd stick his, he'd stick his left arm out or his right arm. Can't remember what hand drive the car was to actually brace. Jenks you know and, and that was that was instead of a seatbelt because that was going to be so much better <laughs> I've just noticed this, I've just noticed a sentence here and it goes then we logged all the difficult corners grading them as saucy ones dodgy ones and very dangerous ones having a hand sign to indicate each type <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh fantastic oh, I'm really looking forward to reading this in the morning that's, yeah, that's... Not, not
1: repeated in WRC today <laughs> when there is so many cameras <laughs> no no right take us through to the uh and finally
0: well the and finally we've talked quite a lot about uh wrc tonight uh we've almost mentioned some citron there but um essa pecca was the well the Citroen wrc uh driver was in the uk and they decided that what he should do when he's over here is he should do demo drives for motoring journalists uh and and VIPs and, and stuff. And they thought, well, what can we do it in? Cause we don't have a rally car. So what they did was they took a Berlingo, uh, and, uh, made a couple of small tweaks to the Berlingo. Uh, mostly, mostly they added, added a normal handbrake as opposed to the electronic one that's standard. Mm. Uh, and other than that, they, they left it stat, they, they did leave it <laughs> standard. They took a worker version, uh, which is the version which has a bit more 30 mil more ground clearance. It has, uh, it has, Underbody skid pans. It has hill descent, which I'm sure was really fabulous wheels, grip control knob and fantastic steel wheels on sort of normal road tires. And, uh, yeah, they used that on, on a rally training stage to show people. One of my favorite things about this article on motoringresearch.com is, are the photos of a, of a very nervous looking Richard Orton. <laughs> <laughs> there's the very nervous we're about to go and then there's the yeah well of course that was fine i really enjoyed it sort of sort of walk back again i wanted to say something very crude
1: about adjusting things but i, I best not well about playman's helmet or something yeah something like that yes
0: um i'm not I'm <laughs> no not that, that would that be childish if we ever did that Yes.
1: So, um, but we're not
0: childish like that, Richard. So we haven't. No, we're definitely not. You don't have our phone numbers, but yeah, I'm not surprised to be honest that the, that the, uh, that the bilingo managed this all day long because for goodness sakes, you see them in the hands of postmen and, uh, and the forestry commission in Scotland. Uh, and yeah, they get one heck of a workout. So I just thought that was really cool using a, using a bilingo as the show off uh, vehicle rather than. Rather than anything else. I also have a yep. soft spot for Bilingos because they're great fun to try. Yep, that's, that's well done, Citroen, on that one. Quite that's, nice. that's good work. Uh, which brings us to the end of this week's, this week's waffle. No parish notes. Ludicrous, by the way, it's a book by Edney Meyer. I forgot to actually say what it was that I was reading, but I assumed you, you all knew that. Uh, do take a look on Amazon or wherever for your, hard and soft back copies. Plug 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 plug. We're not getting anything for it, but nope, we read lots of it stuff and he's a nice chap. Yeah, that was it for parish notes, I think. Yep. Which means that it's time for me to Time for me to remind you that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, Don't forget our Patreon offer available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please, please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, which is all a bit messed up at the minute. Google Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. Uh, Andrew what's the best way to get in touch with you
1: best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter if you search for crack windscreen you'll find me there and Alan if somebody has a wonderful suggestion for a streaming service that is of a reasonable cost that will prevent either me or you or perhaps both of us breaking our
0: computers and screaming into the void where can they do that you can do that. Please, please, please do that on Twitter because I only heard half of what he just said uh, where I'm at AJPBradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, We'll be back next week. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. 10 seconds after I finished. And safe motoring.